It is great having everybody out here as the kids are going to get ready for Bible Bowl downstairs. And I hear they're doing very well in the, in the Bible Bowl competition. So praise be to God for that. It's wonderful that our kids are desiring to, to learn and continue to learn the Word of God. Amen. Uh, to go and to do these different things. It's, it's just setting the foundation. The foundation that's built on the rock that Brother John Collins is going to be teaching on Wednesday night. Uh, last week, if you were here on Wednesday, you know I kind of led the class and John was just kind of getting his feet wet. And this week we're going to have uh, John teach the class and I'm going to kind of be the secondary. And, uh, and so I look forward to that. He's been studying. We've been talking and having conversations. And I'm proud of John. I just wanted to say that here this morning, that, uh, that the young man's stepping up. He wants to teach the Word of God. He wants to get his feet wet and start to learn. And as, as men in the congregation, we should all strive for that because God has given us that responsibility. And so I love seeing the young men up here, right, that are passing out the Lord's, uh, the, the Lord's Supper each and, every, uh, each and every week. They're reading scripture, uh, doing opening and closing prayers. I mean, it's pretty awesome to see uh, how, the, how these young men are starting to take that next step in their faith journey. This morning, we're going to be looking at Beatitudes. Uh, Beatitudes, last week we did part one. Today, we're going to get into part two. Last week, if you remember, as we were looking at the first four... We said how Jesus, he reveals a model, right? Jesus reveals a model for Christians on how they are to live their lives. And in, and in doing so, we receive spiritual prosperity. Not material prosperity, but spiritual prosperity, which fills our lives with what? It fills our lives with joy. It fills our lives with satisfaction. And we know that we, are, we enter into God's favor because we're brought back into relationship with him when we become followers of Christ, disciples of Christ, and then we also receive salvation. Because at the moment that we are baptized, at the moment that we're washed in the blood of Christ, what happens? We receive the, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Our sins are washed away. God adds us to the kingdom. And you're in the kingdom so long as you choose to continue to have a faith that glorifies God. A faith that continues to grow. A faith that continues to mature. And so we know, brethren, when God adds you to the kingdom, you're the only one that could remove yourself from said kingdom. And so, brethren, we're going to continue to look at the Beatitudes here this morning. If you remember what I said last week, the first four Beatitudes, they deal with the inner man. They deal, with the, they deal with the mind and the heart and the transformation that's going to take place. And so the first four deal with the inward principles, principles of the heart, principles of the mind. And then you get to the next four Beatitudes. They deal with the outward principles, right? They deal with outward expressions of our faith. The outward expressions that are, that are a result of the inward changes that have taken place. The inward changes that have taken, uh, that have transformed our hearts and our minds. And so today Today we're going to start, we're going to look at the very first one. On the screen behind me we have blessed. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. You know, as we look at blessed are the merciful, brethren, we're going to see that it's talking about our actions, right? And it's also, there's this idea of a mutual benefit, okay? As we think about, for example, uh, as we talk about our outward actions, Individuals who are poor in spirit, right, first beatitude, they recognize their need to receive mercy and they're led to show other individuals mercy. Why? Because they know that the mercy that they have received from God. And then you think about uh, those who mourn. Those who are mourn are what? They're led to purity of heart that we learn about in verse 8. 
Those who are meek or gentle, we see that they always seek to make peace. Because if you have a gentle, humble spirit, you're going to be a peacemaker. And that's more that I don't know if we'll get into peacemakers this week, but it might be next week. But those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they're, they're willing to do what? What it tells us in verse 10. They're willing to pay the price to be persecuted, if need be, for their righteousness, for their faith. For their willingness to glorify Almighty God. So you see, brethren, to fully understand uh, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 7, we really need to kind of get into a couple definitions first because we need to understand what is the definition for mercy? What's the definition for grace? A lot of people think mercy and grace are one and the same, but they're not. You know, mercy in the original Greek is eleos. And eleos, this is not the same as the Greek word charis, which is for, uh, for grace. Grace is defined as sympathy. Grace is defined as sympathy that is shown towards somebody who does not deserve it. I'll say that again. Grace is sympathy that is shown towards somebody who does not deserve it. Mercy is the moral quality of compassion. The moral quality of compassion, especially showing kindness to, kindness to somebody who's in need. And so this can refer to human kindness, but it also can refer to uh, spiritual kindness, right? It can refer to God's kindness that he bestows upon mankind. And so, brethren, think about it. Mercy, I want you to understand, it's not an emotion. Mercy is a response to human need. Do you understand that? Mercy is a response to human need. And two of the best definitions that I've seen for grace and mercy are simply this. Grace is specifically associated with humanity and their sin. While mercy is specifically associated with humanity and their suffering. And so that's two of the better definitions that I've seen for mercy and grace. So in other words, mercy is what? Mercy is a sense of compassion. But it's not just a sense of compassion. It's a sense of compassion with the desire to do what? To relieve the suffering of those who are, who, or those who are hurting. And so, brethren, remember that the reward for the merciful is what? To receive mercy. It says it right there on the screen behind me. You can say it if you want. The reward to receive, uh, the reward for uh, giving mercy is to receive mercy. But it's not mercy from your fellow man. It's mercy from Almighty God. And so you remember the reward, it comes from God. It's not that it can't come from man, but we know specifically what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 7 is talking about the mercy that is shown by God. That is the reward. And that's a mutual benefit. You know, the Bible talks about mutual benefits. You guys remember back in Matthew chapter 6 and verse uh, 12, Jesus is going over the, 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 uh, the you know, when they, the disciples ask him, teach us how to pray, right? And he gives the Lord's prayer. And then in that Matthew chapter 6 and verse 12, Jesus says, and forgive us our debts. He's teaching us how to pray. Forgive us our debts as we what? Forgive our debtors, right? Forgive us our trespasses as we what? Forgive our trespasses. Some say debts, some say trespasses. The meaning's one and the same. But you see there's this idea of mutual benefits, right? You see it in the idea of Matthew chapter 5 and verse 7. You see it in the idea of Matthew 6 and verse 12. And there's many other scriptures that could be named, but I think that suffices. Brothers and sisters, when opportunities arise... When opportunities arise, let us strive to do what? Shine the light of Christ. 
And as we shine the light of Christ, what are we going to be doing? We're going to always be looking to be merciful to all we encounter. We're going to have compassion, mercy upon those we encounter, but not just, it's not just an emotion. It's something that we do to try to relieve the suffering. It's compassion plus the desire to relieve suffering. And so, brothers and sisters, do all that you do to the glory of God, and you do so as you give mercy to others, and you show mercy to others. And, and, and the scriptures tell us that our blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. But then I think about this next one. Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I love this because in order to see God... In order to be with God, in order to spend eternity with God, you must do what? Have a pure heart. Well, what is it talking about? What is the heart? Is, is it the muscle that beats within my chest? No, it's not talking about the muscle that beats within my chest. It's talking about many people would say it's like the seed of the mind. And so this beatitude holds the great promise that if you have a pure heart, then you're going to see God. You're going to spend eternity with God. But in order to see him, you first must have a pure heart. And it goes back to passages like Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 and 2. That if you know anything about my teachings, I mention it all the time. Because Romans chapter 12 verse 1 and 2 is of utmost importance. Because we have to transform our hearts by renewing our minds. And so the mind, the heart... The seat, of the, uh, the seat of the mind is like our will, our conscience, if you will. So as we get into what is the heart, the beatitude does not refer to freedoms from impurities in our lives because we know that we're sinners in need of a Savior. The scriptures say if you have not sinned, then you're a liar because the truth isn't in you. But we know, brethren, to, to the, the, the heart is talking about enlightenment. Enlightenment that comes to the mind. Remember, the first four Beatitudes were inward changes that need to take place. The next four Beatitudes are outward expressions of the changes that had taken place in the mind as you transformed your mind, renewed your mind with what? With the Word of God. And so now it's starting to show outwardly. And now all of a sudden you can become merciful as Christ was merciful. Why? Because he's our example. And we do all things uh, that, that God, Christ, Jesus set forth for us to do. And he is our ultimate example. Many times he had shown mercy throughout his uh, earthly ministry. So brothers and sisters, I look at this next passage of scripture on the screen behind me. When I think about the hearts... In Ephesians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul wrote to the people of Ephesus, and he told them, I pray that the eyes of your hearts, did you catch that? He doesn't say the eyes of your head. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance to the saints. You see, brethren, the heart in the original Greek is that word cardia. And throughout scripture, as well as in many languages and many cultures around the world, the heart is used metaphorically for the inner person. But the scripture, it represents much more than just emotion. It's not just emotion and feelings, it's the thinking process. That's why we have to renew our minds by transforming our hearts. Because the heart and the mind, the will, the conscience, they're one and the same. It's talking about that inner purpose or that inner person. It's talking about that thinking process. And so the heart is the control center of the mind. It's the control center of the will. It's the control center of the emotions. 
You guys ever read the Old Testament and you come across those passages in like Proverbs and in Psalms? And it says, he who trusts in his own heart is a fool. I love that passage of scripture. He who trusts in his own heart's a fool. You guys, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Is he, what's he talking about? He's talking about the mind, right? He's talking about the thinking process. You guys ever hear that saying, trust in your hearts? You guys have heard that, right? We say it all the time in society. You hear it in the movies. Hey, what does your gut tell you? Right? You ever hear that one? Trust in your heart. What does your gut tell you? But what does your heart thinking process, gut, tell you? Well, if you're outside of Christ, your gut and your heart are going to be uh, made up of things that are uh, worldly experiences. And so based on the worldly experiences that you've dealt with or things that you've had to go through in your life, you're going to uh, form some type of opinion, some type of thought process, some type of emotion that's going to be attached to it, and then you're going to use that as you move forward in life. But Jesus says, and the scriptures tell us, that those who trust in their own heart are a fool. Why? Because there are ways that seem right unto men, Proverbs 14, and in the end it leads to death. And so Jesus says, stop thinking what you want to, uh, the, the scriptures to say and start adhering to what the scriptures actually say. Does that make sense? And so we think about the heart, brethren. And as we think about the heart, we have to understand that the gospel emphasizes the importance of a good heart. Listen to what the Apostle Paul had to say to the people of Rome in Romans chapter 1 and verse 21. He says, for even though they knew God, what does it say? They did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Why do you think the Apostle Paul was saying that? He was saying that they knew God, they had the word of God, and yet they did not adhere to the word of God. And thus their hearts had become darkened, and thus they had become foolish. Because now they no longer live for God and his will according to his ways. They would rather live life according to their own thought processes, based on their own experiences, and based on their own fleshly desires. You see, brethren, that says that you have a foolish heart. And then I think of this next passage of scripture in Romans chapter 2 and in verse 5. And the scriptures tell us here, but because of your stubbornness and what unrepentant heart. There's that word again. Remember, it's not the muscle that's beating in your chest that's talking about your mind. It's talking about your conscience, your will, your unrepentant heart. You're stir storing up for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. You're storing up what? Wrath. Why? Because you continue to have a foolish heart. You continue to not adhere to the will of God. You guys remember in John chapter 12 when Jesus was... Uh, Jesus was talking to uh, his disciples, and in John chapter 12, he was telling them that I do all that the Father has commanded me because I know his words contain eternal life. And it's not I that judge you, but the words that I speak is what will judge you in the last day. So we also know that when Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, right? We know that he is the way to follow, and that all truth reside in Christ Jesus, and outside of Jesus, there's no truth. And so, brothers and sisters, you look at the scriptures here this morning. What you regularly feed your mind with is going to be important. Why? Because we need to ask ourselves, what comes, what comes out of the heart, the mind, 
and then flows over and through the lips comes from what fills the mind, what fills the heart. Look at this next passage. You brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak what is good? For out of your mouth speaks out of that which fills the hearts. Brethren, what you regularly feed your mind with, what you allow your eyes to see, what you allow your ears to hear, will be evident in what comes forth from you. Remember, the first four beatitude, it's an inward change. There's inward processes that have to take place. But this next four beatitudes that we're looking at right now, it's talking about how now after the inward change has happened, you're going to see an outward change. You're going to see that, you know what, I don't partake of the same entertainment choices. I may have removed some friends or some family members even from my life because I know they're a negative influence on me and that if I continue to allow them to influence me more than I allow God to influence me, I'm going to be like that man who knew God but had the foolish heart. And so brothers and sisters, he, Jesus says there in Matthew chapter 12, you brood of vipers, how can you being evil, sinful, speak what is good for the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart, the mind. And so brothers and sisters, the Pharisees, Jesus is talking about the Pharisees there and he tells us that they appear clean on the outside, but inwardly they're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Have you ever met anybody? <coughs> Who seems, you know, they're there every Wednesday and Sunday. But then you see them out in public or you see them in a different environment. They don't seem like the same person that you used to uh, go to Bible study with or that you used to worship with, right? And why is that? Because they're kind of, they, they, they take their Sunday best off and they put on their worldly best, right? And they're trying, they're around their work, they're around coworkers and they're around friends. And all of a sudden they start to talk a little differently, they start to joke a little differently. They start to partake of some different things in life that, well, if they were with their Christian friends or their Christian family, that they definitely wouldn't have done those things or said those things. But because they're not around them, all of a sudden they start to, what? They start to look and act a little differently. And so, brethren, it all gets back to understanding that you can appear clean, you can appear righteous, religious uh, to those uh, from the outside, but... If they don't really know your hearts, they're not going to know that you're really full of dead man bones. Look at this next passage. Open your Bibles. This one's too long to put on a slide. Matthew chapter 23. Jesus is still talking to Pharisees. He's still talking to some of the scribes. I want you to see. I mean, Jesus gives a strong rebuke right here. I mean, you can't put it much more plainly than what Jesus is going to put it in Matthew chapter 23, starting in verse 23. I'll give you a second to get there. Matthew chapter 23, starting in verse 23. I want you guys to see what Jesus is going to say here. Because this is a strong rebuke. Matthew 23, here we go, starting in verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! Man, that's a tough start, right? I mean, didn't, didn't they think pretty highly of themselves? The, the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders? He says, woe to you, you hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law. You've neglected justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things that you should have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but the inside is full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, 
First clean the inside of the cup clean the, uh, and, and clean the dish so that the outside may be, uh, may be clean as well. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside you appear beautiful, you appear righteous, you appear religious, but on the inside you're full of dead men's bones and are all uncleanness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. I love plain speech. I love black and white. I'm the type of person, man, don't beat around the bush. If you got something to say, say it, right? I mean, that's kind of how I've always conducted myself, and I would love when other people conduct themselves. I don't have to guess what you're thinking or what the problem is, right? I love just plain-spoken people. And Jesus, you can't get any more plain-spoken than Matthew chapter 23. Do you think they were confused by what the message was? I'm pretty sure they knew what the message was. That's why Jesus says, unless our righteousness... Our righteousness, those who wish to follow Christ, exceeds that of the Sadducees and the Pharisees, we by no means will enter into the kingdom. So remember, brethren, one becomes righteous through their obedience. What do we always talk about when I say what is biblical faith? Right? Belief, trust, obedience. And so you have to have belief, trust, and obedience. And that obedience leads to integrity. And the integrity leads to purity of life that, it, that, that, is, that is expressed outwardly when you have made the inward changes, when you've transformed and renewed your mind. And so, brothers and sisters, a pure heart describes a person whose life, uh, whose loyalty to God has affected every aspect of their life. So I ask you a question. Thinking about the pure heart and thinking about those who have a pure heart will see God... Have you allowed the word of God to transform you? And if you've allowed the word of God to transform you, is your loyalty to God affecting every aspect of your life? Or are there still some little areas of your life that are closed off to God? You know, we, don't we like, to, as human beings, don't we like to compartmentalize some things, right? Do, do we sometimes put God in a box, I wonder? You know, because we like to compartmentalize things. Do we put God in a box? That's a question you have to ask yourself. Do you allow yourself to be influenced in all aspects of your life, in all areas of your life? Or are there still parts of your life that are off limits to God? That are still off limits to the renewal process that happens when you transform and renew your mind. Brethren, listen to what the writer of Hebrews has to say. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14, as we think about this pure heart idea, pursue peace, it tells us in the scriptures, with all men, and sanctification without which no one will see God. No one will see the Lord. Well, you think about that fancy word, sanctification. It's really not a fancy word. It just means to cut or to separate. So sanctification is the separation of the believer, of the follower of Christ, from evil things and evil ways. Have you separated, have you sanctified yourself by transforming and renewing your mind? Have you removed yourself from the sin that has plagued you? Have you removed the evil people from your life, the sin, pe sinful people in your life that really have want nothing to do with God, want nothing to do with righteousness, want nothing to do with holiness? Do you still allow them to be in your life and influence you? Or have you removed those influence from your life because you realize the detriment they are to your faith. 
Are these logical questions that all Christians should be asking themselves? You see, brethren, they are. Because if you don't have a pure heart, you won't see God. 1 Corinthians in uh, 15 and 33. There's a passage that's escaping me, but for some reason the verse comes to mind, but the rest of it's like a blank right now. So open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 33. As we get there, I want you to see something here. Because this is an important aspect, it's a, and it's an important concept that I want us to remember. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and starting in verse, uh, or just verse 33, I want you to see what it says. Ah, here it is. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good morals. Isn't it weird when you remember the verse, but you can't remember what the verse says? I know it in my mind, but sometimes you just draw a blank, right? It's like, you know, you go somewhere and you're at the counter and they say, what's your birthday? And you're like, uh, uh, uh. It's like you know your birthday, but you just, I wasn't expecting the question and you just draw a blank, right? Evil company corrupts good morals. How do you have a pure heart when you allow evil and sin to be what influences you? Eventually, if you allow the evil to influence you enough, eventually you get to the point to say, well, Kara's not that bad. Kara, you're a sweetheart. We know that. But you know what I'm saying? But you get to that point to where you just say, well, it's not that bad. You know, you're a clean person. You're a tidy person. But then you get a roommate, right? And, and, and it annoys you that they leave their dirty clothes in the bathroom after they get out of the shower instead of taking them, putting them in the hamper so they can be washed, right? But then you get annoyed, and then after a while, some time goes by, and then after a while, the clothes are still there, and then it just becomes part of, well, routine. It just becomes part of the room, and then you eventually stop seeing the clothes. It used to annoy you, but now it's not there. And then you notice that all of a sudden, the, how different things can become norms. We talked about social norms on Wednesday in our last Bible study, how God calls us to be countercultural, right? We're, we're to live in an upside-down world. We're to be countercultural. Well, to be countercultural means that we don't uh, adhere to the social norms of the day, right? That we are to be different. That's that sanctification process. So, brethren, a couple more passages, and I'll close it down for you. Look on uh, the screen behind me. We look at Proverbs chapter 24, verse 23 through 27. Above all else, guard your heart. Remember, it's not that muscle. Guard your mind, for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth from deceit. Keep your corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. It's saying, you know, like that racehorse, you need to put those blinders on. And it says, give careful thought to the paths of your feet. And be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. And then I think of Peter. Peter tells us, as a result, they do not live the rest of their lives, earthly lives, for evil human desires. But you are to live the rest of your life to do the will of God. So you see, brothers and sisters, ask yourself, why is sexual immorality so prevalent in society today? Why is sexual immorality so prevalent in society today? It's because of impure hearts. Remember, pure-hearted people will see God. Impure-hearted people will not see God. Will not spend eternity with God. Why is lying so pervasive in society today? Because of impure hearts. Why do marriages so often nowadays end in divorce? Because of impure hearts. Why, are there, why, why do we have so much discord and disconnect? and hatred in the world today because of impure hearts. 
Why are there so much bickering and fighting? Because of impure hearts. Why, brethren, is it easier to think bad of a person instead of thinking good of a person? You ever meet somebody who first thinks bad and then maybe they'll think good if they prove themselves to them? Why is it we see the worst in an individual first because of impure hearts? Why are most people in, on this planet going to be lost? You know, people don't like when we talk about that. You know, that most of us are going to probably be lost. Maybe not us in this auditorium, but us in society, in the world, right? Most people are going to be lost. That's, that's not my opinion. That's what Jesus says. Why? Because of impure hearts. Only those with pure hearts shall see God. So, brethren, as I shut this down... That's why we must transform our hearts. That's why we must renew our minds. And if we do that, transform our hearts, renew our minds, then brethren, we'll hear those words from God when we stand before him in judgment, and he'll say, well done, my good and faithful servants. So brothers and sisters, ask yourself, are you merciful? Are you pure-hearted? You know, as we go through these Beatitudes, and we'll keep continue this process next week and until we get it done, but I want you to really reflect on these things, because these are those look-in-the-mirror moments. And I love those type of lessons to where I encourage you and myself to look in the mirror and ask yourself honestly, truthfully, who's looking back at you? Is it somebody who's pure-hearted or somebody who has an impure heart and only really you know that? Because it's easy to put on that smile. It's easy to, to put on that facade, right? That, uh, that, that you're very religious, like the hypocrites oh, that Jesus was calling hypocrites. So you see, brothers and sisters, ask yourself, are you doing what's necessary in the first four Beatitudes so that way you can do what's necessary to outwardly shine the light of Christ? If you're hearing this message today and you're not a child of God, brethren, you have an opportunity this morning you have an opportunity to have your sins forgiven, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit that seals you for the day of redemption. You have an opportunity for God to pick you up out of the world and to place you into the kingdom of His Son. And that takes place in the baptistry. If you wish to be baptized for those reasons here today, because you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, come forward, put it off no longer, and be baptized as we stand and sing. <clears throat>